Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Disc golf at its core is a lot like ball golf, which should be a great surprise to absolutely nobody. As well as a great idea for a cheap family outing, pro disc golf is arguably even more fun to watch than its spherical counterpart, and the fact that it could still be considered niche should be a crime. If you've seen one professional disc golf highlight in your life, there's a pretty decent chance it belongs to my guest today. It feels like his most famous throw shows up on sports socials nearly once a month. We'll hear the story of that throw and many others in this episode, so strap in. My name is Tommy Butler, and you're listening to The Yocha. Hello, everybody. I'm here with professional disc golfer and disc golf coach Philo Brathwaite. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. So I want to get right into the thick of it by asking, what is it that you love about disc golf? What made you want to go pro? What is it that I love about disc golf? Oh, man, it's everything about the sport. I fell in love with uh, the competitiveness of it, the uh, artistry behind throwing the disc, the challenge of shooting low scores and winning tournaments, the travel, people. is just the whole atmosphere of the game really was something that just felt like home to me. Uh, what made me want to go pro is a little different. I think that really had to do with a lot of uh, people in my, my local course really encouraging me to practice a bit harder, and they, they noticed a, a talent in me and a, the ability to, to compete at a high level, and they just really pushed me and uh, encouraged me to practice hard and you know, take my skills out into the practice field and work on it, and try to dial things in and get consistent. You know, I just kind of dabbled in it at first, but then uh, the passion really hit. You know, when I started playing competitive disc golf, and I started off as an amateur just for a year or so and got my feet wet and understood the game and the rules and everything and then went full on, jumped right into the pro league. When did you play disc golf for the first time? How did you first hear about it? First time I played disc golf was at the end of 1999. Um, the guy who turned out to be my best friend introduced me to disc golf. It was kind of funny how that worked out, but uh, we were working together at In-N-Out Burger and we were, you know, talking sports one day he's flipping burgers i'm shaking french fries and question comes up what do you like to do for fun and i was an avid golfer at the time and he had a joke for me right away with that one he said when you're done playing with your balls i got a real game of golf to show you and took me out <laughs> to the local course in pasadena and gave me a purple cyclone and said all right there's the basket over there the object is to throw this thing in there and as few you know throws as possible just like golf and i was like i dig it you know this looks like fun and yeah, that was that was awesome. I remember that day very well. Had you it ever... was terrible, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you happen to know the score that you got that day, or were you not counting? Uh, it probably was like 50 over or something. It would have been <laughs> terrible. And every hole on that course is under 300 feet, so it was pretty bad. Had you ever thrown a Frisbee before? I had. Not a disc, but I'd thrown Frisbees, you know, PE class in high school, and a few times gone to the beach with some buddies and they threw a frisbee around, but I was no good at it. Not really my thing. 
do you find that it's easier to throw a disc versus a frisbee absolutely uh the integrity of the disc just uh especially when you're more of a power thrower than a well in disc golf i'd be considered more of a finesse thrower i don't have a ton of speed but when you can put some some attitude on on a disc man it flies real nice compared to a frisbee they just don't hold the torque as well they're kind of like locked into a particular angle for maximum glide and disc golf the variables are a bit more you know they're a bit wider you know you can shape the disc a bunch of different ways and create long flight patterns yeah it's interesting that you say that because i grew up playing ultimate and switching to disc golf i found it really difficult to throw it straight considering i'm so used to throwing a disc with much more glide much more stable yep yep and it's a lot smaller and more aerodynamic so just getting that grip together too can be complicated for a lot of people transitioning and the swing is a bit different it's similar but there's nuances to it you know what i mean that the the aggressiveness at the end of the snap is a bit more in a disc golf swing than an ultimate throw so yeah i could see the transition being a little confusing for people even though they're you know in the same world it's just two different tools you're using completely different definitely the going back and forth between a putter and a ultimate disc i always end up throwing my putters too far to the left because i don't expect it to cut <laughs> exactly yeah it's pretty funny how that works out the stability of disc golf discs is like tenfold to an ultimate disc you know even a putter starting at a maximum glide disc in disc golf is a putter and you know an ultimate disc is maximum glide that's what it likes to do is glide and if you try to put an Anheuser swing on an ultimate, it turns into a roller real quick, especially if you throw it with any kind of speed. So, oh yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, the the aerodynamics between the two—it's fascinating how air gets trapped underneath the disc and the width of the wing and whatnot. How much bevel is in the edge really dictates so much about how the disc can fly. Speaking of discs, there are four numbers that are written on most discs somewhere on the top. Uh, yep, they mean they kind of tell the person looking at the disc how that disc is going to react to the throw what kind of throw you need to put on it would you mind giving us a rundown of what those numbers mean okay well could i uh, kind of start by throwing another little thing in there first so of course. i don't know how many of your listeners are into the frisbee sport world but in disc golf there's three technical air shot throws that are like an option to the thrower the, the beginning throw would be the hyzer throw or the first throw, you should say, I wouldn't say the beginning, but the standard throw would be a hyzer, which is more of just an unravel and popping of the arm for a straight flight or a disc that turns to the left. Generally, most discs when you're right-handed want to finish to the left. That's just the characteristic of the, the spin that you're putting on it from the snap. So there's the, and the, the, excuse me, the flat or hyzer's throw. There's a flat swing or a straight swing, which is kind of more coming over the top. And then there's a more rounded left to right swing, which is the Anheuser swing, which promotes right turn only. Again, in brief, a hyzer throw is when you have the part of the disc opposite from where you're holding it tilted down. When you let it go, it'll hook to the left really quickly. And an Anheuser is when you have that part of the disc tilted up, which will make it hook to the right before likely hooking to the left again, which most discs do. Also, fun fact, because I was always curious, hyzer is named after H.R. Flingheiser, who was a disc sports guru back when disc golf was in its infancy in the 70s. Now you know. So when you look at those four 
numbers on top of the disc. The first one will be speed. The second one is going to be glide. I believe the third one is turn and the last one is fade. It might be the other way around on the last two. Just wanted to mention that while Philo is right with the order of the numbers, at least on Innova discs, which he uses, I love the lack of confidence here because it's so relatable as someone who forgets constantly. But basically those are giving you a a rough outline of what the disc likes to do at a certain speed, which would be the first number. So if the first number is really high, that means you have to put more speed on the disc to get the characteristic of the last three numbers, if that makes any sense. So if it has a lower number, typically if you're a newer player, it's a lot easier to control it because you don't have to throw it as fast to get the, the characteristics of the last three numbers, the glide, the fade, and the turn. So those last three are really important in, in the disc golf world. If you want the disc to go a long way straight, you want a disc with a lot of glide. You know, you don't want a disc that fades really hard because that means left turn only. So it's really fun, like, working those things into your game and really understanding what kind of disc works best for your abilities. And those numbers just kind of give you a rough outline of what to expect, you know, as far as the, the flight characteristic of the disc from the hyzer from a forward and flat hyzer. That's what all those numbers are based on. Then you can start manipulating your swings as you start undulating in uh, stabilities of discs. So the less stable the disc is, you're probably gonna wanna add more hyzer angle because it's gonna wanna stand up on its own. The more overstable the disc is, the more of an anhyzer or, or a rounded swing you'll be putting on the disc to kind of use that overstable edge to your advantage to gain glide. So it's just kind of like, What's the user's preference or what's available to them on the golf course or what does the hole make you do sometimes? You know what I mean? Some holes are wide open and it's dealer's choice and some holes they kind of pigeonhole you into a certain type of throw. So it's, that's really the fun and the art of this game is being able to create the shots that you need to when the time is right. And the numbers on the disc really help you figure that out. Yeah, and then you have to add the skill. The, the disc yeah, is almost like a caddy in itself. In a way, I mean, you still got to throw the disc, you know what I mean? It's, it gives you information, but, you know, the disc follows what the body does. So if you don't have a good mechanical machine operating the disc, then things can be pretty random sometimes. As someone who is as amateur-ish, boy, that's a hard sentence to say. My brain did, could not wrap around that. <laughs> <laughs> as someone who is an amateur, mm -hmm. the... I, I definitely know what you're talking about by if your machine's not right. I've thrown a, yeah. a destroyer and have it hooked to the right before. And I I managed to do that once and I have no idea how. <laughs> you know, when you it's so funny. Like, I, I love teaching the game of disc golf after playing for about 20 years now. And uh, I feel like I've been a technician with every sport that I played. Uh, I played high school sports all through high school and AYSO soccer and club soccer growing up as an adolescent. I've always loved athletics and I always wanted to learn the technique. Like I was really in tune with learning techniques young. And I did the same thing with disc golf. Once I kind of got past the excitement of learning the game, then I was like, okay, I need to figure out how do I do this the right way so that I'm not beating myself all the time. Every sport has a technique that gives you a nice solid foundation. And then you can be creative from there. But you don't want, like, your whole game to be creative. And, uh, you know, I, I really drill, like, these fundamentals into people. And, like, every time I have a lesson with somebody, I try to leave them with three things to think about. What what does the disc like to do? Which physical action are you going to choose to use to throw the disc? And where do you aim? 
if those three things aren't running through your mind on the t-pad then you're probably going to have a because it's really hard for the body to to do what the brain doesn't understand and i really just try to drill those very simple concepts that can be complex but at the end of the day the actions are pretty simple it's just a matter of talking your body into doing them when you don't have the information it gets really difficult because you're just trying to figure it out kind of like a golfer you know if i just gave you some sticks and a handful of balls and said all right let's go play golf you're gonna lose those five balls on the first hole because you don't know what you're doing <laughs> and you know it's like you got to go take some lessons and spend some time on the driving range kind of get the feel for things you know it's really hard to just start playing golf and pop up on hole one on a golf course you know it's gonna be a long day so you know it helps to get some instruction to get some information so that your brain starts thinking in the right way and then the body can follow i'm glad you brought that up because i was going to ask you what you what you should be thinking when you're standing on the tee box or when you're standing in front of the in front of the basket on a long putt how do right. you especially in a tournament how do you keep yourself calm and just keep thinking about what you need to that's taken a lot of practice i mean i still get anxiety and nerves sometimes you know as long as i've been at this and as comfortable as i am competing it's just like you want to play so well all the time and you know you have the abilities and the skills and golf is so fickle like that. It doesn't take much to miss one little hinge in your swing or loss of balance or, you know, a little loss of grip, a little sweat gets on your finger pads, gust of wind, you know, like every little thing can affect anything at any given point. And, uh, you know, I just try to really stay calm and just breathe deep and remind myself I know what I'm doing. I know how to play this game. I understand what's happening around me. Just focus on one one thing at a time, you know, one shot at a time. Make your mind up. Just try to execute that action 18 holes in a row. That's that's my goal every day. Most of the time I do pretty well. You know, I have some rough tournaments, some rough days, some rough holes, just like every golfer on the face of the planet. But uh, <laughs> I think just kind of being at peace with it at the end of the day and just kind of setting it setting it down and saying, okay, I did my best. Things didn't go as I planned or things went great today. And you can kind of pat yourself on the back and get ready for the next round or the next tournament. I think it's just something you have to be very aware of. And, uh, you know, everybody does it differently, you know, for, for myself, I, I just really talked to myself a lot and I try to keep the self-talk as motivating and positive as possible. There are times where I get pretty frustrated out there on the course and, I kind of have to give myself a swift kick in the butt, but not too hard and not too often, unless if I'm just really dragging. But it's it's really tough, you know. It's it's a balance that each player has to figure out for themselves, you know. And after years of trial and error, you know, it's try to keep motivated, keep pushing myself, and don't quit on the rounds. I don't think I've I've never dropped out of a tournament or stopped playing an event because I wasn't playing well. I just played it out the whole way through, no matter how good or how bad it went. And there's always something to learn from that. You know? Yeah. I just, you know, try to be as professional about this as I can. You know, it's really easy to get frustrated at a tournament. Oh, it's not going my way. I'm just go full bore and not really try to execute shots. I'm just go crazy and whatever happens, happens. Like, I just don't know how to do that. <laughs> you know, some guys, they get in the back of the pack at a tournament and they're just throwing every miracle line they can find just because they know they're probably not going to cash anyway. And, I'm still trying to play golf. I'm still trying to get my rhythm, you know, find my my flow, you know, and just try to do what I know I can do. And you know, some days it goes well, some days it doesn't. You know, and that's that's sports for you. 
<laughs> exactly. Very wise. That's sports. <laughs> Apologies for cutting in here, but I have a couple words from our sponsors. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. In partnership with eBay, Armchair Media will be raffling off four custom-made sneakers. Each purchase you make before March 31st through ebay.com sneakers will enter you into a drawing for a one-of-one one pair of Air Force One low tops. Just send a screenshot of your purchase to at Armchair Media on Twitter or Instagram. If you're a fan of more mainstream sports as well, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is in full swing, and college basketball is quickly rounding up the tournament. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets and is free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So you said that you played golf originally, like ball golf. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do you still play golf at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's still my favorite thing to do besides it's so funny i just had this conversation at dinner tonight uh, <laughs> a couple one of my competitors and his fiance uh invited me out to dinner just to have a little talk or whatever catch up i haven't seen him for a while and you know we're sitting there talking and they're like so what do you like to do and i was like well, i like playing golf and they're like oh okay like because they saw me actually have some little foam balls that i'll practice and knock around after my round just to get some swings in so they saw me out in one of the practice fields, you know, working on my swing and they noticed, oh, okay, you're a golfer. I'm like, yeah, I've been playing golf much longer than disc golf, but only in the last couple of years has it started making any sense because I never took any lessons or, <laughs> you know, I just played little pitch and putt courses most of the time, you know, cheap and cheerful or little you know, LA County courses that aren't very expensive, you know, and lose a bunch of balls and shoot a hundred every now and again, you know, and <laughs> It's just like for fun, you know, I like the challenge of it, but I had no idea what I was doing until about 18 months ago. And now everything has changed. I went and got fitted for new clubs, made an investment for the first time, really in my own clubs, clubs for me. And, you know, got a couple of lessons with a swing coach and clarified some things and gave me some things to work on. And now the game's really starting to come to me. I'm starting to feel things I never felt before. It's so much more fun. You know, I wish I had done this years ago. I love playing golf. It's one of my favorite things to do. Great game. Awesome. I played golf before I played disc golf as well. So when I started getting into disc golf, I kept thinking of everything as if it was, or like in the golf terminology kind of, like yep. each disc to me was a different kind of club. So you have your yep. drivers, you have your fa fairway, uh, I, you have your irons, which are kind of the mid range and then your putter. And I had favorite clubs for each thing i could hit a seven i could hit a nine i can hit a pitching wedge can't hit a three wood so <laughs> maybe i won't go for a, <laughs> some of the really big discs or really fast discs yet but yeah uh, it's really interesting how how similar it is and that's of course why it's called disc golf it's very similar but extremely different at the same time you know the kinetic energy that disc golfers feel to the disc is so much different from the stick in the ball feel there's like a whole lot going on in that space between you and the ball when you're playing ball golf. But when you're connected to the object that you're propelling, you know, it's a whole lot easier to feel that, that connection to it and more control and just, you just feel things in a different way, you know? And I don't know, I guess that's why it's so compelling for those who found it that they just, 
it's an addiction, you know, you just get addicted to that feeling of making that thing zip through the air on a line that you like and smashing into the chains, you know, it just, it's like a drug. It literally is like a drug. You remove and, that uh, middleman and it becomes magical. It does. You know, when, when you tap into it, most one of some of the most euphoric feelings I've felt in my life been on the disc golf course because you did it you know what i mean there was no like especially when there's no luck involved and you throw a pure one and your heart starts racing when it starts tracking on the line of the basket because you know it's looking right and all the all the specs are adding up and when that thing rams into the basket you're just dead it's so exciting it doesn't matter if the hole's 150 feet or 500 feet away it always feels the same it's perfection you know it's like that perfect painting or whatever the masterpiece it comes and goes so quick <laughs> and i've seen some highlights of your masterpieces over the years i think the one that anyone who has heard of you or i mean a lot of people who don't who wouldn't recognize your name even have seen the 2016 albatross so yeah i mean that that shows up on sports center a few times a year probably uh on instagram and places like that it's pretty amazing how that all came together how has that one throw impacted your career? Wow. Yeah, that changed things for sure. I'd been grinding for almost a decade at that point. And uh, it's really, really hard to earn the type of sponsorship that can keep you on the road full time in this game because it's a small, small lake of big sharks. You know what I mean? They're, they're the guys that are out there have been doing this, you know, a long time, been playing since they were teenagers or youths. Their games are so solid and they're so accustomed to competition and they grew up with the game and their bodies developed around the game and their confidence level is really high. And, you know, they got to play with some of the game's greats, taught by some of the game's greats. Then there's this whole other generation of YouTube disc golfers, I call them because you know, they get to watch the best of the best play on YouTube these days. You know, social media has changed the sport of disc golf big time. The landscape, so, so huge of an impact. It's quantifiable, but I couldn't give you the number. I mean, it's amazing what that's done for our game. You know, just to be a part of that, like on that level, you know, it's pretty surreal. <laughs> it's very surreal. But, um, I don't know, man. Like that, that moment was big for me. Um, I that shot happened. I was kind of in shock the rest of that day. I mean, they had it on on the screen at Tournament Central, and I'm standing there watching it. And the guys who filmed it were like, "Yeah, we sent it to ESPN. You'll probably see it tonight or tomorrow or whatever." And I'm just kind of like, "This is crazy, man." You know, like, and I didn't really think like what would happen after that. You know, like all the memes and all the other you know uh, handles that picked it up and ran with it and shown all across the world on on news channels and then the discovery channel called me up and they wanted to do an interview for outrageous acts of science and that went across the country and wow it was just all these things happened you know and like i i mean as an ambassador for the sport that was awesome you know what i mean like i didn't really care about what it did for me per se i did in some in some regards but i was really just hoping the sport would gain some recognition some notoriety like that that would be something to level us up once again you know for me personally in my career that helped with my sponsorship and to get that boost and that bump up to the team that 
got the compensation that made it possible to stay on tour and they couldn't deny like the popularity that came with that and of course they wanted to be attached to that and get me out there more and for me to be more visible and you know I didn't have to grind so hard I had been working side job for 10 years up until 2014 so I was like partially on tour partially working you know back and forth back and forth 2014 the contract for that job expired I started uber driving for about 12 14 months and then when the 2016 uh, season rolled around the first tournament that I played on tour was Las Vegas and I won and it put about four grand five grand in my pocket in one weekend and I was like no more uber driving full-time <laughs> disc golf here we go and I mean that's like basically all the money I had to my name minus a little bit of money I had in savings but I still had you know my monthly overhead and I was like whatever I'm just I'm going for it this is the time I'm playing well let's go and uh so I went out there and you know yeah a few months later I'm in Portland Oregon made it to the lead card at a national tour which is a big deal it's hard to run with the big dogs and uh I made it and you know stuck around and here we are in the third round and plugging away my parents came up from LA to come watch me play which is super rare they're retired and you know senior citizens and hadn't really seen much of my career live and uh, it was you know one of those getaways for them that they're like let's get out of LA and let's go watch the boy play somewhere so they came up to Portland and one of my biggest fans and supporters the lady you can hear in the end of the clip you hear this lady going all right Philo yeah that's Karen <laughs> she's the coolest Karen ever so for all those Karen haters out there like she doesn't yeah she's off the list like she's one of the coolest Karens you'll ever meet but uh she this like all these awesome vibes were flowing my way you know and just to have all that energy there and I was in I was in a moment in that tournament where I was like I have to go for this shot it's such a dangerous shot you could either get a like you could get a two like I get, or you could get a five or a six or a seven on this par five because that second shot's daunting. If you mess up and end up in the woods, you could have a really tough get out of jail kind of situation. So I don't know. It was just one of those things where I just believed in myself. I knew the shot that I needed to throw. I made an adjustment in my disc from practice. In practice, my goal was to kind of crash into the big tree on the on the right side of the of the of the field goal that the disc goes through up in the trees. Because you can see the basket if you make your mistake on that side. So I just kind of like in that moment, I was like, I need to get on the green, hopefully have a look at an eagle three and try to keep pace with the guys I'm playing with because they were all playing at a high level. And I was adamant, like, I'm not going to play conservative. I'm going to play aggressive. I'm going to play like I want to be here. When that thing left my hand, I, I was like, yeah, that felt like the line. Like, and I just was talking to the disc the whole way, like, go, 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 fight, fight, like start <laughs> turning, turning, you know, and. I saw that thing hook around the corner and I just turned my back and I was like, it's over there somewhere. You know, it's, it's over there somewhere. And I didn't even think about it. And 10 seconds later, the guy who's filming, it turns around and he says, it's in the basket. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> and he's on a walkie talkie with the guy basket side with the camera filming from the opposite direction. And he, the guy at the basket, you know, with the camera walkie talkies to the guy who just filmed me and said, that thing's in the basket. And I'm just not believing them. I had to wait for the other three guys to throw a couple more shots before I even got a chance to walk. You see on the clip when I take my hat off, that was like 10 minutes later before I even knew the disc was like officially, I saw it for myself. So that whole anticipation, and I'm happy I didn't see it going. I would have lost my, you know what, man. I would have <laughs> been so jacked up and it would have been so hard to come down from all that adrenaline and the crowd and the gallery everybody's cheering like nobody knew like it was just like this silent thing that happened you know and then 
the reaction was well after the shot was actually thrown. So yeah, it was a special thing. It changed my career. It just totally bumped up my popularity in the disc golf world and with my sponsors and just, yeah, it changed a lot, man. It made it a lot easier to do the international traveling and you know, people all across the, the disc golf landscape, especially in Europe, were like, yeah, we want Philo to come to our this and our that and do a clinic here and do a clinic there. And yeah, it really just started a snowball for me for a good five or six years. You know, It's been awesome. That's so cool. I'm so glad that it worked out so well for you. I had written down as a potential question, do you ever get tired of seeing it because it the it's I like it could be a one-hit wonder sort of thing. I mean, I've seen other ace highlights, so it's certainly not the only right. thing you're known for, but I'm really glad that that's not the case. Well, I mean, it's not the worst thing to be known for, and no, to answer your question, I don't ever get tired of seeing it pop up on ESPN or Sports Center or whatever, you know, handle drops it and sometimes some other random entity will throw it out there and see what people react or how they react. I don't know. It's it's weird. I've seen it pop up in the strangest places, you know, and nothing to do with sports really. And they're just like, hey, what do you think about this frisbee shot? You know, and, and there <laughs> I am throwing an albatross. I'm like, wow, cool. I love it, man. I, I'm so happy that that's a part of my legacy, honestly. Do you still have the albatross disc? Oh, yeah. I got a story about that if you want a, a story. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm willing to stay up all night if you have more stories to tell. <laughs> I got another story. All right, so here we go. The albatross disc story. So 2016, the year I make the albatross. Awesome, right? Thinking, I'm never going to throw that disc again. You know, <laughs> that's what I told myself. I'm never going to. So, of course, from June all the way till the end of the season in November, everybody and their mama wanted to see the disc, touch the disc, hold the disc. So. I kind of took it everywhere, you know, showed it off, let people play with it or not throw it, but, you know, get a feel for it and go like, yeah, that's a good destroyer right there. You could tell it's got that pop top and everything, you know, and, you know, that's the one cool. And they would want to take a selfie with it and all that. And it was pretty cool. It was kind of like a novelty thing for, I don't know, five or six months. And then the off season came, I took it out of the bag. I just left it at home when I went to Asia, came back home first couple tournaments of the year. I was like, I really don't need it at this, you know, tournament, that tournament. Beaver State Fling rolls around 2017. I take the same disc to play the same hole. I'm like, this is the only hole I'm throwing this disc on. That's it. <laughs> we'll see if I can do it again. Of course, during the round, I land in the same spot as I did in the video from my, from my drive on the tee. So I bust out the same disc and I'm like, all right, you know, like my heart starts racing. I'm like, here we go. Let's do it again. You know, and all the guys on my card, they're all hyping me up and we're all excited. And then I just threw just the worst shot ever. <laughs> totally bailed out into the trees onto the left. And I was so disgusted when I got up there of how bad my shot was. And I'm like, kind of like partially laughing and then like kind of frustrated because I was like, man, that was terrible. You know, I was like, I, I know how to throw that shot. And that was not it. But anyway, I'm walking up there and my disc is buried in the trees and I get up there and I, I'm like wiggling my way into this tight little crevice so I could have a footing to throw my shot out from the trees and that shot didn't go very well and I was just like, oh, this is disgusting, right? And I just kind of walk away from the disc, didn't pick it up, just left it there. <laughs> and so the next day we played on the other side. There's two courses at Milo McIver. We were playing west the day that I lost the disc that I made the albatross. The next day is Sunday. We finish on the east course and... After the tournament was over, a bunch of people just were out there playing. So this guy named Colin was playing with some random guy. His name was George. They just happened to be playing hole six west, the hole that I albatrossed. And this guy, George, finds the disc where I left it from the tournament. 
and this guy Colin says, "Hey, that looks that just looks kind of familiar. Like, does that say Philo on it?" And the guy just kind of looked at it and goes, "Oh, I don't know." And he just kind of put it in his bag and he walked off. I don't know. It was kind of weird, right? So the guy called me up here. He sent me a message on Facebook and he said, "Hey, you know, like I think I saw this guy walk off with your disc. Do you have your albatross disc?" And I go, "Yeah, it's in my bag. It's right here." And I go out to my car and I start sifting through my bag and lo and behold, there's no albatross disc. And I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what did you do, man?" <laughs> Your bad attitude just lost you your like most prized like prized possession in your life, your albatross disc, you idiot, you know, and now I'm freaking out. And the guy's like, Well, all I know is the guy's name was George. He's like not on any club. I can't find him anywhere. He's just like some random guy and I'm gonna try to find him for you, man. I, I promise, man, I'm gonna find this guy. So that whole year rolls by, nothing. I hit, you know, every once in a while, I send the guy a message, any luck? And he's like, No, still looking, I'll let you know. Eighteen months rolls by nothing happens and then one day out of the blue colin sends me a message and he goes i found her man i found his wife like one of her <laughs> friends like became friends with my friends and then boom i found her and i'm gonna hit her up right now and make sure she's got your distill and sure enough he went through all the trouble found the wife found this guy george the disc was sitting in their garage buried in a bunch of stuff and they dug it out and then they wanted to barter to get it back so i had to barter some frisbee <laughs> to get my albatross but i was more than happy to do that that was funny i was like sure just send it back <laughs> and so it came back it would look just like how it was when i lost it and I got it back, and now that thing is in a plastic bag and does not leave my van ever, ever going back in the bag. I'm hoping that uh, the PDGA will ask for it for the Hall of Fame or something like that, and I just I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, there's no way George knew what that was. Like, I wonder if he ever. Threw I had. It. I had. I probably imagine he just thought somebody just left a disc and finders keepers you know that's kind of how new players are they don't yeah. really understand the etiquette they don't know to look for a name and a phone number and yeah so i almost lost it man it, it was lost but technically it was i guess equestered by somebody <laughs> held held hostage temporarily kind of i don't know uh we got it back though um yeah i felt really stupid for a while <laughs> while we're talking about special discs i've heard of almost a mythical disc called the one true rock yes would you mind explaining the one true rock to me because i kind of understand it but okay not entirely all right so the one true rock is a i believe it's an eight time ken climo kc kc pro rock which uh easily brand new if you had some laying around could probably fetch you a few hundred dollars maybe wow highly thought after back in the day it cost you eight or nine bucks and now they're worth hundreds you know depending on the condition so uh, this one true rock was a disc that, or is a disc, I'm sure it's still in existence. I haven't seen it in 11 years. I got it when I won my first A-tier event in Colorado when I took down a, a healthy contingency of uh, touring pros for the first time. It really kind of showed everybody Philo's got game, you know, and I can <laughs> take down a big tournament and win a big one on the road, you know, or nothing I'd ever seen before, brand new, just like they do, you know, week after week. And I got out to an early lead and scaved everybody off for the rest of the tournament. And at the end, I was handed the one true rock by, I believe it was Kale LaVisca handed it to me. And uh, that was kind of a, that that moment is like getting your tour card in ball golf. That's, that's the guy saying, you're one of us. You're a part of this. You are a part of this. I mean, you're not some outsider. You're not some kid from the local crew that got lucky and took down the pros that came into town like you've been out here working and grinding you earned this and you've earned your stripes and that's what the one true rock is all about is that acknowledgement from your peers that you're you're one of the sharks now. 
no, you're one of the top contenders. You're one of the people people respect when they look at the leaderboard before the tournament starts. They're, you're one of those names people are worried about. That was, that's that's one of the best moments that a pro can have is when your peers say, yeah, man, you're, you got it. You're somebody that I respect. You're somebody that I look to their name on the leaderboard with respect. And not like fear thing, but you acknowledge, hey, that person's in the field. He's got game. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's that's one of those things that you can't buy. You know what I mean? In this game, you, you, you cannot buy that respect from your peers. You have to earn it. Once you get that disc, you know you've earned it. So everyone who's ever gotten the disc signs the back of it or the inside. Yep. Yep. Who'd... And we're talking, we got the Hall of Famers from 30 years on that disc, you know, from the eight, from the late 80s, early 90s. Anybody who was anybody pretty much signed that disc. And at the time, that was probably 40, 50 guys, you know, maybe. Wow. And now it's... <laughs> <laughs> it must be hard to find a space to sign now. I'm sure that's done. I'm sure that there's nowhere else to go. I mean, you're probably just scribbling your initials on it now. I mean, yeah, you're just writing over people's names at that point. Who do I, don't, you... I don't know. I haven't seen it in so long. I have no idea who's had it. And who's... I know it was held hostage by one player i'm not going to mention his name for a couple of years after he got it and then it just kind of disappeared for a while and then all of a sudden everybody reminded him hey you're supposed to keep this thing moving and had to go dig it up and (laughs) you know carry on the tradition but you know you're not supposed to hold on to it very long i think you're supposed to throw it one time in a tournament on a hole where there's no water there are a couple of weird little traditions you know like keep it for a month or two you know use it once in tournament play no water holes hopefully not a extremely wooded hole you know on a crack the disc because that can happen yeah so yeah it's just yeah one of those special things that people know about but you hardly ever see it you don't ever really see the one true rock just floating around it's it's a very private thing who did you the pass it off to item. wow that's a great question man Ooh, that is a fantastic question i can't remember <laughs> it's a long time ago you know how much has happened in 11 years of touring disc golf like I can't even think of how many people I've crossed paths with. I, I'm trying to rake my brain. I know it was somebody during that 2010 season won a tournament probably about three or four weeks after I did, and I handed it off to him, and I was like, yeah, man, you're the guy that – I might have given it to Rick. It might have been Rick. Because I think – Something like that. I can't remember. It's such, ah, it's such a long time ago. I just remember receiving it. The next part afterwards is just – you acknowledging the next person that you feel is deserving of it. And I remember the person who won it was in a similar position to, to myself trying to earn their stripes. And when that person won that tournament, I was like, yeah, you totally deserve this. You know what I mean? I, I kind of feel like it might have been Ricky, but it, I could be wrong. The Ricky that we refer to here is Ricky Wysocki. He's another one of the best disc golfers in the world right now. He started his pro career around 2009, so the story does track time-wise. So I'll cut this Maybe. out if you want me to, or like what I'm about to say. But when I found out about the One True Rock, it was because it was a short story about how I think it was Ricky, or was it Ricky that held on to it for a very long time? I think it was Rick. Okay. Again, I can cut that out if you want me to. Just. I don't care. Okay. You know what he did. <laughs> it, because Whoever it said... was, they knew what they did. And they knew they were wrong. Yeah. They messed up. It oh, well, be, that happened. It would be really interesting if you were the one who gave it to him. It's possible, man. It's It's been so long. You know, so many things have happened in a decade. You know, it's so many other things. that It's not that they outweigh, but they just kind of like, 
on the scale of what's most important things to remember kind of thing or most memorable moments like just a lot of things have happened since 2010 all the asia trips getting to go to australia bouncing around europe a bunch of times i mean so many fun adventures you know it's hard to just like narrow them down and kind of catalog and remember everything it would be nice to be a major winner to have won a world championship or one of the big you know tournaments that we play but I'm cool with being known for the albatross. I'm totally okay with that. And hey, it's, you still have time. You could still add to your resume with one of those major oh, absolutely. wins. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm 41 now. I've been playing professionally for this is my 15th season. I really feel good about where my game is, even though I don't throw it as long as I used to. You know, 10 or 12 years ago when I was, you know, a bit more agile and had stronger ligaments and tendons and stuff like that. And, <laughs> a little bit more flexible but uh you know i'm playing really good golf when you know, i get into a rhythm like i can still shoot some really good scores and you know a lot of the time i feel really comfortable out there and i feel like i'm in control of things i can keep up with the majority of the competition you know there's a handful of guys or so that once they get hot it's kind of hard to beat those guys like most of the dudes that uh most of the competitors that I think that win when those guys don't, those guys just had a rough weekend kind of thing. You know, they didn't play their best game and you know, some other players are able to kind of squeak in there and sneak off with one here and there. But for the most part, most of the tournaments are being won by the same 10 guys most of the time. You know, they're the top of the talent pool in the game, you know, and you just got to give it to them. It's a young game. Back in the day, the best players were in their mid-30s and now they're all in their young 20s mid 20s you know early 30s maybe some of them a couple of them but and we're seeing that all across sports too it's crazy yeah it's just well i mean technology you know i mean so much easier to learn things these days when you can watch something and digest it over and over and over again instead of just i mean yeah you got to go do the physical actions but to be able to watch yourself and really break things down you know high definition really break things down and compartmentalize every aspect of your game and it's it's so helpful it's so helpful it really does help a lot and i think that attributes a lot aggression of the players these days and the discs too i mean back in the day discs were not like they are now when i started playing you didn't have discs that would carry the world records 1108 feet like you'd have to throw it into the grand canyon you know to make it fly that far (laughs) That world record is owned by David Wiggins, by the way. In the video of the 1,108-foot throw, he's standing in the desert during what looks like a tornado back in 2016. Four years prior, he threw it nearly 900 feet without the tornado. Needless to say, he has a heck of a cannon. They just didn't have the integrity to withstand that kind of flight, you know, that kind of speed and angle. But now discs, I mean, they go so far and guys that are throwing them 80 plus miles an hour just making them travel 600 700 feet in flat land you know is kind of like that 650 mark is kind of like where the top level pros are throwing on flat ground you know and that's that's far man that is far to throw something i mean that's you know, what average, two football fields and some and the average professional i'd say is in that 400 to 500 range so you know, you imagine we're playing holes seven, eight hundred feet par fours, and the guys are throwing six hundred and plus feet off the tee, and the average, you know, pro is throwing one hundred and fifty feet behind them. You just can imagine how easy the game is for them. They're just laying up putters all the time. Yeah. You know, and the other pros are having to throw, you know, 
mid-range and fairway driver and you know they're a little bit more you know, worries from another 150 feet out you know what i mean and yeah it's just it's incredible to watch him do it it really is something else what is a day in the life of a full-time touring professional golfer well that depends on how you like to do it you know what i mean um it's up to you as the player i, I have my own kind of way of doing things most of our tournaments are three or four days. It'd be a Friday to Sunday or a Thursday to Sunday. You know, you typically try to, depends on how many courses you're playing that week. If it's a one course event, then you probably want to get a couple of good practice rounds in, get in a couple of days early, you know, get acclimated, get settled in, get your practice rounds, try to build some kind of a game plan for the tournament. And you're there four days in a row competing. So, uh, you know, we have some off weeks, in the off weeks, I'm sure a lot of us are trying to rest and rehab our bodies a little bit, and, you know, just take a break and re relax and rest. You know, we have a lot of driving we got to do in between events sometimes, you know, thousand plus miles you know, after our next big part of our tour in April, then we have to get all the way back to the West Coast from Arkansas in like a week and a half or before we play again. Sometimes really fast turnarounds and long stretches of driving. So, you know, there's other things that come into that you know some of us are you know coaches like myself and we do clinics and workshops host tournaments some of us do and put on tournaments and do special appearances and disc signings and some of us are more into that some of us aren't you know it's just kind of up to the player and what opportunities are presented to them or what they're interested in doing i mean there's a lot of different things you can do as a professional disc golf in the world of disc golf it's kind of up to the player to kind of mold that for themselves because we don't really have agents nobody's booking jobs for us it's kind of when you earn a certain level of respect and notoriety in the game people just kind of to do things to be a part of it it helps their their cause when a notable player shows up helps you know, represent whatever tournament or event they're doing it's really there's no clear-cut answer man i mean a lot of guys spend a lot of time training and practicing and stretching and working out and you can really see some of the younger crew. They're really focusing on eating right. And, you know, most of these guys don't have much of a social life. They just kind of live out of their van and live out of a out of a car or you know hotel hopping week to week. Sur you know couch surfing. You know, <laughs> there's so many variables, man. I, I've done all of it. You know, I've been bumming on people's couches and hotel hopping, and now I live out of a conversion van. Wow, it's 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 a crazy it's. It's crazy. <laughs> it feels like being a vagabond or something. A gypsy lifestyle almost, you know. <laughs> the the disc golf community is great because they all understand, especially with the touring pro, what the life is like. You know, they don't have a full understanding, but they know it's not. We got to go through a lot of stuff to, to be ready to play throughout the season. It's not as easy as you might think looking at it from the outside. Oh, yeah, they're just playing disc golf. What it takes to actually be on tour is it's exhausting be honest you have to really love this to like long and you have to love it even when you're not doing well there's not a lot of money in our sport yet it's getting better there's only you know five six seven guys that are really making a good living the rest of us are chugging along you know kind of keeping the wheels spinning and some of us maybe can do a little better and you know, stash a little cash here and there but the average disc golfer i mean they're like tournament by tournament Plus, if their parents are funding them or something, but I didn't have that luxury. I had to figure it out myself. 
There's a lot of variables, man. I can't answer that clear cut. Man. There's so <laughs> many different ways that people are doing this, you know. Some people have that family support and their parents are like, yeah, go try to be a pro disc golfer. We got you. And some people just like took a chance on it in life and said, I'm going to try this and see if I can make it work. And it's a struggle, man. It, it really can be a struggle without, you know, those good endorsements like other athletes get in other sports. Yeah. You're not We're like playing for each other's money most of the time, you know, or a little bit of added cash or sponsorship cash, but it's usually within the sport. You know, We haven't really got that big boost from an outside shit interesting so yeah it's not like being an nfl player where you're taking private planes with your team to different places and making no, millions no, no, no. well i mean one guy's making millions Paul <laughs> McBeth, he just signed a 10 million dollar contract for the next 10 years so he's making a million dollars a year but i mean maybe Paige pierce on the women's side she's been killing it and she's probably got to be one of the highest win percentage of any sport for an individual you know athlete individual sport athlete she's dominant i'm sure she's compensated well i don't know about as well as Macbeth, but again there's not too many you got to do some special things to make a lot of money in this game you know like really special win multiple world titles that's that's what the sponsors want you know they want the guys that win the big ones so that's who they that's where their value is, is you know champions yeah what do you think yep. the future of of disc golf is do you think it do you see it getting better for not the average pro maybe but more really talented pros like yourself where you might not win four what four in a row like paul Macbeth, but like still one of the best out there yeah i think it's getting better as we go i mean the disc golf pro tour has done a great job of you know bringing the pay you know Especially the entry fees went up and then they're you know getting more of the outside sponsorships within our sport obviously but outside of the tournament you know and getting some more added cash into the pro purse and you know the owner of the disc golf pro tour has been infusing some of his own money into the scene so you know it's getting better i mean the, that's definitely been the goal you can totally tell that's the main focus and that's you know priority number one is to elevate the whole thing and to make it look more professional you know what i mean all the way around from the events that we play how they look you know to the payouts everything you know and uh i i see and we've all been i cannot <laughs> emphasize how many times this conversation i've had this in 20 years <laughs> i mean it comes up all the time we always feel like we're on the verge like maybe that'll be the thing that pushes us over the edge. I mean, we always feel like we're right there, you know, like we have no idea what it's going to take to get to the next level, you know, for things to level up again. I have no idea. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. I think disc golf is as, is as compelling as it's ever been. You know what I mean? The, the athletes are getting, the players are getting more athletic for one, not to say that the guys who, you know, really, founded the tour weren't athletic but it's just a new world now some of these young guys are just you know college grade athletes division one athletes that are playing disc golf yeah it's not like it's just different the game is different now it's the same game but it's different you know it's yeah. evolved it's i just a... see that it's just going to continue to evolve it's going to continue to grow the popularity is going to continue to grow many of us feel like this is the sport of the future it's a low impact sport you don't see a lot of guys suffering major injuries in disc golf yeah you get some sprains and tweaks we play in some undulating 
rough conditions sometimes yeah weird things can happen you can you know roll an ankle or you know wear and tear on the body just like any other sport but it's just you're not getting ran over you're not getting tackled you're not you know jumping up and down and getting undercut in basketball getting rebounds and it's just not the same kind of impact and you really can feel those things a lot easier in disc golf i can kind of mitigate a lot of those pains you know because you can kind of back off you don't have to go full bore all the time you can slow things down and you can take a break you know it's like i, I don't know i just feel like disc golf is such such a unique sport and it's so accessible it's so much fun for people for all ages i mean i've done so many cool things with you know first and second graders and they love playing disc golf you know what i mean all the way to senior citizens adult homes and it's just hey they're happy to be outside you know they don't even care if the thing goes in the basket you know and it's, it's just fun for everybody you know what i mean it, it can it can be fun for and usually once you throw it a few times you'll you'll get the itch you'll want to figure definitely and you mentioned it's accessible like compared to ball golf if we want to call it that sure the disc golf is so much less expensive you need to buy at the minimum one disc that Correct. you could use for anything and <laughs> there are free parks to go play at all over the place yeah i think we're up to nine thousand courses in the states now wow Some, something like that i think we just cracked over nine thousand, and i think a lot of them came last year when covid hit and disc golf like surged because there was nothing else to do outside <laughs> that was technically legal you know or covid safe so yeah disc golf really took a big jump this last year and the accessibility of it yeah like you said most most places are free to play you could go to you know most of the big sports retailers dicks big five whatever you got and they'll usually have some kind of a starter pack from one of the manufacturers for less than 30 dollars, and that'll last you months if you play casually but yeah i mean it's there's so many discs out there to choose from you go find yourself a disc golf shop or google disc golf shop near me and go in there and talk to the staff and they'll sort you out you know but it's it's a lot of fun i i love talking to people about disc golf and showing them oh you might like this you know what i mean and this might be a good disc for you like tell me how you throw you know that's a lot of fun to me <laughs> what is the disc golf coach coaching life i guess like you said that you occasionally do or you'll move around and do talks on it for I've forgotten the word now, but workshops. I do yeah, demos, workshops, one-on-ones. One yeah, group clinics. Do you do that any... just while you're on tour, whenever you have a free moment? Uh, I no, I do it like throughout the year. You know, when I'm on tour during my off season, especially when I'm in the off season, that's a great time to really connect with my fans and you know people that really are interested in learning and growing and developing you know the skill set to play better. I haven't had a bad review yet and I really enjoy it. I, I take a lot of a pride in helping people get better and showing them a, a technique that's easy to digest and relatable and it's the truth of the game for the most for the most part. I mean it is the truth of the game. There's the numbers and the science behind the game, you cannot dispute them because they are what they are. It's really hard to argue the facts of math and science. It's just it is what it is and the more you kind of just allow that to settle into your brain, the easier the game comes to you. I just try to keep it simple. You know, this game is as complicated as you want to make it. Definitely. You just start out slow, start modest. You don't have to try to go full speed. Just make the disc go straight first. Let's work on that. And then after we get that, then we can start adding the variables and changing the attacking angles and stuff like that and getting different types of flight paths. You know, I just love starting people from the beginning, see where they are. And if they're, you know, beyond a beginner, you know, a little bit more advanced in their skill set, then I can challenge them to more, you know, challenging styles of shots. 
see what they do. And it's just a lot of fun for me to watch people grow. For me, that's I'm just excited for them as they are for themselves when we're doing lessons, you know, because they start seeing the changes right away. The light bulb starts to go off, you know, and for me, I take a lot of pleasure. I really enjoy that. For me, that's probably one of the enjoyable parts of being a professional disc golfer is being able to share that information and see how excited they are to go play again. That's so cool. Yeah, as a my day job, I'm also a teacher, so I totally know what you're talking about, seeing the your students, their eureka moments and their eyes get wide as they Absolutely. realize that they've done something that they didn't think they could do. And it's so cool that they just always say that felt so effortless, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like people say that about my swing and I'm like, well, that's intentional, man. I don't want to look like <laughs> I'm, you know, breaking my kneecap every time I throw. I want to look like I know what I'm doing, you know, be smooth, be under control, be efficient, you know, be powerful, but be under control, you know, and have good balance. And that's really, you know, the <laughs> that's the core of this game is balance. You got to have good balance that weight transfer and shifting your weight side to side and turning your hips and all of this, you know, just like any other sport, you know, it's that same fluid motion into the action, you know, it's, that's what makes this game so beautiful. I think you can be as elegant or as raw as you want with disc golf. Awesome. Speaking of balance and stuff like that, what would you say is your, the, the most solid part of your game? Whew. Most people would probably say my my mid range game. All that's of kind your of rocks that you for. have. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> kind of where my my disc golf experience started was in a, was at a course that was relatively short to today's standards, and very technical. And uh, when I found the rock, the you know mid range disc that's probably the best disc that my sponsor ever made. You know, I mean it's the truest flying disc. It really just teaches you how to control all the angles, you know, at a, at a mild speed, you don't have to, you know, go full on, but it really just teaches you like how to throw all the discs. And then you can just add more speed to them, add more torque to the other discs that can handle it. But it's just such a great multi-purpose all around efficient. I love it. The rock is so cool, but yeah, I spent a lot of my, my, you know, time practicing with rocks I'm just really comfortable throwing them and I feel like I can kind of weave that disc through pretty much any situation versus the driver, which kind of gets squirrely the faster you throw them, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. It's just one of them. Disc, every, every disc golfer has that disc in their bag that they're like, I know what this disc will do every time. And for me, it's like a DX rock. With the DXs, I saw the in the bag video that you had done soon after the Albatross and you talk about all the rocks you have and how because they're DX, they wear down pretty quickly. How many rocks would you say you go through in a year, in a full season of touring? Typically about a dozen. I'll, I'll kind of shuffle through and filter through about a dozen from brand new until they start to wear out. And then I just kind of rotate them through the bag. So I always start the year off with a couple of brand new freshies that are nice and stable. I know they want to turn left and I can really work them into straight flyers and you know, after you use them for a month or two, you hit a few trees, you, you know, start losing some <laughs> of the edge because they're not as durable as the other plastics were that are a bit harder and, you know, they don't chip and scrape so easily. 
you know, you lose some plastic, the disc becomes less stable, flies a little straighter, you know, a few weeks later, you hit a few more trees, now it starts flying understable, so that one gets shifted down, you go get, you go to the, you know, backups, and you grab another brand new one, put that in the bag, and you just kind of, I just keep cycling them in, so usually about 12, you know, 12 to 15, it depends on where we're playing, you know, some of the courses we play, there's a lot of trees, and sometimes that tree taco to the disc can really just change the whole flight pattern, you <laughs> know, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but when you oh, hit a yeah. tree really close, going really fast, and you look, the disc looks like a taco's in the air. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a good sign for the for the DX plastic, and sometimes that's game over right away. Speaking of different kinds of courses, uh, what is what kind of whole setup is most difficult for you? Whether it be like having a water obstacle or a ton of trees, rocky. It's really like funny that? that you should ask me that. Um, I've been realizing that I have been struggling with island greens. I mean, makes sense. So <laughs> it, it, for some reason, every time I step up to one of these island green holes, and there's a bunch of good ones on tour that are just picturesque. Like I can imagine hole uh, 17 at the glass blown open in Kansas. It's just a little tiny island, and there's 280 feet, 300 feet of water in front of you between the next piece of land, or maybe like just over 350 or something like that. But it's not even that long of a shot for most of us out there. And for some reason, the shots like that just, they really get to me for some reason. Kind of get so the hard, yips like, or just... Kind of like, you just kind of overthink it or, you know, I feel like I throw the right shot and then, you know, I ping pong off of a tree or I throw it a little too hard and it skips out the back or I'll throw it too low. You know, it's like something always happens, something weird always happens on island. <laughs> So as a quick preface to this next part, Philo and I talked after the first day of the Belton Open in 2021. I believe the hole he's talking about is hole three, in case you want to Google a visual. It happened to me today, actually. There's only one hole out there that's an island green, and there's about 60 feet of space that's out of bounds in between where you're teeing from and then down below where the safe land is. And I throw it through the hazard area and it goes all the way through all the trees on the, where the island green is, where the basket is, and then goes OB into the river behind the basket. Oh. That's like 50, <laughs> 65 feet away from the basket. I'm like, how does that happen to you <laughs> every time you play an island green? You know, it's just unbelievable. Like, I just cannot get it together on island green. <laughs> it's just my nemesis or something, my kryptonite. <laughs> If you were to, make... I don't know if I just get overly anxious stepping up to the hole or what. I, I'm usually thinking good thoughts, like this is what I want to do, and then I throw it, and then I'm usually frustrated after. I mean, I can feel, I feel exactly the same way because uh, the courts that I play at, it doesn't have any water, luckily, but there's this huge, tall grass, bushes, and brush on one side. It's just, it's a perfectly straight throw, but every single time I get up to it. I've nearly lost a disc in that brush almost every time I've played that course. And I'm just like, I need to not throw it in that area. I throw it in the same place every time, middle of the brush. <laughs> it's kind of funny how holes that offer obstacles like that really get your attention. You know what I mean? And then all oh, of a yeah. sudden, that's all your brain can focus on is where you don't want to go. And then, of course, you inevitably end up going exactly where you don't want to throw. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's just, yeah, this game can really be a pain sometimes. You know, you, you love it and you hate it, and then you come back for more. If someone were to approach you and ask you to design a course, what would you put on a on your perfect course? Wow, what would I put on it? What do you mean? Like, how would I just like what style would I do? Or 
Yeah, I guess that, really that was not a great. It depends on the land, you know. <laughs> it always depends on what you got to work with. You know what I mean? Um, I'm a SoCal golfer. I've always kind of been accustomed to a bit more liberal, liberal, you know, fairways, not so restricted and pigeonholed into one type of throw. I kind of like the player to be creative and kind of choose their line. You know what what they feel is the best for them and what their game has to offer. And uh, I've always been a fan of of fair but difficult. I want things to be challenging, but I don't want them to be fluky and kind of like, oh, it was a miracle you got through, you know? Like, yeah. To me, that's not fun. That's not really golf to me. And I think some places that kind of element is a little too prevalent, you know, for the skill level of the players. You know, I mean, yeah, we have great skills, but the shots you're asking us to throw are like low percentage. You know, they're not a quality shot. You're just kind of getting lucky. And some people get lucky and some people don't. And that's like the stroke variations that they're looking for. And it's, you didn't really make the course better or the hole better. You just kind of made it more awkward. So I would try to eliminate things like that and just really make it a pleasurable and like scenic walk for the player. You know, somewhere something that challenges them, it challenges them to, to work the disc and to create, you know, flight patterns that the discs are supposed to fly. But I just don't think I'd have a lot of goofy stuff out there. I'd keep it pretty straightforward <laughs> and try to make it fun and enjoyable. You know, just have some creative things to, to challenge the players. Some undulation in the ground, maybe a couple of island greens. It'd be awesome to have enough space to have legit par fives. Yeah. I'm really surprised that you mentioned island greens if you have so much trouble with them. Put that on your own course? Yeah, you got to practice somehow, right? True, true. You got me there. You got to you gotta face the monster if you want to get better, you know? <laughs> Definitely. It's kind of how it is. Is there a uh, favorite course that you have that you've played on you know every time people ask me that i take a deep breath and i'm just like man that is so hard to choose <laughs> i don't know how many courses i've played I, there's one of a one of the world champs avery jenkins that guy's played a ridiculous number of courses somewhere in the thousands i don't know if he's like at 1500 disc golf courses or something but it's stupid how many courses <laughs> he's played in i'd probably say i've played about six or seven hundred of them maybe over the years you know wow. Some tournaments we'd have five or six different courses we'd have to play for a world championships or a tournament with three different courses over the weekend or four different courses over the weekend so i don't know i've probably accumulated at least five or six hundred courses in 15 or 20 years of disc golf experience but one of the places that really stuck out to me the most i mean other than milo mciver where i threw the albatross that's long been on top of my list but usually the internationals really pop into my mind in stockholm sweden yarva disc golf park is one of the best we got. I mean, it's it's a gem. It's immaculate in just about every way, minus maybe one hole. Every disc golf course always has that one hole. You're like, yeah, they could do without that, but you know, I I know which challenge. one it is at my local course. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much every hole, kind of every course has one of those. But yeah, I think Yarva is probably one of my most favorite, unique, challenging, scenic, beautiful. The atmosphere, the, you know, just all those birch trees and all the white stakes everywhere guiding you down the fairways. And I don't know, it's just a lot of places are trying to emulate that kind of a, a feel these days. You know what I mean? Long, yeah. challenging par fours, roped off fairways, undulating greens, elevated baskets, just all kinds of different things. That place has all of that. It's such a treat to play there. And then you're in Stockholm, Sweden. So, I mean, there's that too. Yeah. I'm already looking forward to going if I ever have the chance. <laughs> You should, man. There's a ton of great golf in Finland, too. Those folks really just took disc golf and ran with it. They blew up in about five or seven years. It's amazing. They they have so many creative, wonderful, just well-thought-out 
all different types of courses, woods courses, wide open courses, you know, mixtures of both little city parks, little pocket park. I think they're probably getting close to a thousand courses in Finland and they only got 5 million people on the whole, you know, in the whole country. It's so popular over there. It's amazing. And they only get to play like three and a half, four months a year, <laughs> but they don't care, man. Those fins, they play in the snow, two feet of snow. They tie a little piece of ribbon on it and boom, they're out there. Zero degrees, 20 minus. They don't care. <laughs> I mean, you got to adapt somehow. Play for the love of the game. I don't know how they do it. I couldn't do it, man. If I lived in one of those places, I'd be hanging it up until the snow melts. I'm done. You're also from Southern <laughs> California, though, so. Yeah. I lived in <laughs> Chicago on and off. And every time winter rolled around, I had to chuck up the deuces and head back west. I just, I couldn't hang. <laughs> every time, you know, late January, early February, it was just wearing me out. I couldn't go outside. I was depressed. I'm turning yellow. I'm like, I need some sun in my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. We all feel that. <laughs> I'm from the Caribbean, you know, that's where my bloodline's from, and we need some, some sun. So I know, I'm sure that when people ask what your favorite course is, and you sigh and you say you can't choose, that the next question is probably, what's your least favorite course? My least favorite course? When it comes to the tour, I've definitely got one that sticks out that I've just never really seemed to figure it out or catch any kind of rhythm, and Idlewild down in Kentucky. Pretty much had success pretty much everywhere else, but Idlewild. That place <laughs> just like handcuffs me all over the place. So many weird, funky little lines, and just it's just not my style, of course. I just can't figure it out. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I mean, when that's how you feel about a course, there isn't all that much to say. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's not that. I, I mean, it's not like a terrible course. It's just not my style of course like i just don't feel like i'm going to excel there you know like the type of shots i like to throw don't really present themselves to me very often doesn't fit your play style yeah but i gotta show up and try anyway you know yeah definitely a final couple words from our sponsors and then we'll be back for the rest of the interview ebay is the best place to find that rare dead stock or latest release that you've been looking for with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and is customized with the sneaker's details. That guarantee also protects sellers with a verified return process. Speaking of selling, it's free to sell sneakers of $100 plus on eBay. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for more sneakers. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. They have you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. 
Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So I read the Aware of the Beauty of Life article by Craig Florence for UltiWorld. Uh, wow. I thought it was a great article, and I love everything you say about being a role model and how you didn't really pick up disc golf as a pro to be the only black man in the sport. Does it make you uncomfortable at all when people ask you why you chose disc golf or point out that you're one of the few black faces in a very white sport? No, I've embraced it. You know, like when I first came on, like you alluded to, I it wasn't even on my radar. I, I just wasn't raised that way to really, I mean, I've been aware of social injustices and, you know, some bad things that can and have happened, you know, to people in the world and the reasons why they happen. And I'm aware of that type of stuff, but I don't let that dictate the way that I operate in this world. You know what I mean? Awesome. Yeah. I, I I understand those elements are out there, but I also am aware that the majority of us on this planet don't subscribe to those types of thoughts and sentiments. Just about everybody I've crossed paths with in, in the disc golf community have been nothing but awesome, warm, friendly, giving, supportive people, you know, that are super stoked to see me out there excelling, being successful, you know, that I'm just a, a cool guy to be around. I, I mean, I'm <laughs> trying to like pat my own back, but I mean, I'm not an abrasive style person. I, I know that about myself and I mean, I, I, think... I want to be friendly and open with people, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just, that's kind of part of my personality. I'm just like that, but I think that helped me a lot. I think if I were a more abrasive kid from the hood, you know, it might've been a little different, you know, but I'm not, you know, rough around the edges and I'm not kind of bringing a vibe that could be a distraction if you will, or anything like that. Not saying like, Oh, I, I don't know how else to describe it, man. I mean, just, I, I just am who I am. It worked out that this world fits in with the type of personality that I have. And uh, when people bring it up, you know, it's like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why other black guys haven't got as addicted or haven't excelled as, as I have or as have, you know, become a staple on tour like I have. I mean, I can't answer that question. It's just a personal choice that I made. I, I saw something in this game that was very compelling to me that had nothing to do with what the color of my skin was. It was just this is an awesome sport. I really enjoy playing it. I have a passion for this game and I want to see how far I can go with it. Yeah. I still think that's a fantastic answer. And that's, that's all I can say, man. Do I wish there were more people of color in the game? Absolutely. But I mean, it's going to take whatever it takes for them to get interested. And if I'm a part of that and a part of that influence for them, then great. I'm all about that. Happy to be a part of that, you know, connection, but it's not really about what color anybody's skin is. It's, it it is what it is i am that guy and i'm okay with it eventually there's going to be others awesome they just got they got to earn their spot on tour you know they got to earn their skills and there's a bunch of them out there there's a bunch of brothers and you know people of all shades that are super into disc golf and passionate and they got the hunger and and the drive we'll just see if they make it up to the top levels and if they can stick around because like i was saying earlier it is not easy Oh, yeah. To be on tour full time. And you don't really get good if you're not on tour playing with the best competition. You know, you can go work on your skills at home and play with lesser players. But if you just if you don't have that talent level, it's really hard to survive. I'm sure. Also in the article, it says that you value connectivity and building bridges. You mentioned that everyone that you've ever met in this sport has been super cool and welcoming. Do you think disc golf is a really good place to do some of that bridge building? Absolutely. I take advantage of every opportunity that I can when it comes to that, because I just, 
love bringing people together. You know, I love connecting the dots. I love being the conduit. If I can be, you know, I love leading when I have the opportunity to lead. And it's just, uh, this whole world just feels like I said, very natural and comfortable to me. You know, like I've earned my position in this game. It wasn't just given to me because I'm the only black guy or, you know, because they had some role that needed to be filled. Like I just earned it. You know, I went out there, I worked really hard. I tried to bring my personality to the table, bring, you know, the positives, characteristics of of my life into this game try to be as open and giving as the people are in the sport to me you know what i mean it's a two-way street without the fan support i wouldn't be compensated you know what i mean it's yeah a very direct link it's very direct not like our sponsors are just like oh here's here's your tour support for the year good luck i mean that's a direct <laughs> correlation from the fan support of me in our sport that's how it works very few guys that are just getting a contract for who they are they're getting a contract for their value to the brand you know what i mean and yeah it's just something i've had to earn and i just enjoy it i really enjoy being an ambassador and being out there being a face of disc golf being able to speak educate i can't even use the word myself right now but speak (laughs) well on the sport and just be personable for me that comes natural it's something that's just been a part of who i am for a long time yeah i've been so i've been watching highlights and things like that and the YouTube comments and comments all over the place have almost solely been yeah I met Philo this one time I didn't know who he was at the time but he was so nice and so helpful I wish I had known how special that was in the moment and stuff like that the the respect yeah you know you know where that stems from is uh I come from the city of angels you know stars everywhere celebrities everywhere and I always asked myself this question and i know it's a whole lot it's it's kind of similar but different because when you're like a legit celebrity like when people swarm you it's hard to acknowledge everybody you know yeah and it can be i can understand too. like i could uh, i can totally understand that and i respect those who take the time to to acknowledge as many of their fans as possible and i don't know if that correlation is as direct as it is in our sport because our fans are literally the people who are paying our salaries for me it's just like i just put myself in their position like if i were to if i were to have run into one of my favorite all-time athletes how would i have hoped that interaction have gone even if it was 10 seconds long yeah. just to get like a genuine eye contact hey man thank you from that person would have been enough for me instead of them just kind of like scribbling their name on a piece of paper and not even looking at you glazing over you every interaction i have with a fan like i want them to know like i appreciate them in that moment thank you for supporting me thank you for being interested to come say hello to me that's really awesome and so i feel like they deserve that energy back that's just part of the professionalism i try to bring to the game especially on that level because it's so important in our game for where we are maybe one day disc golf will get to the point where it's like watching pro golfers and there's 70,000 people at a venue and you can't say hi to 70,000 people you know what i mean it's just not gonna but yeah you know what I mean? It's just being connected to those people is so important. I know it's important. It doesn't feel like a chore to me. It does not. I enjoy it. I'll stand around and sign autographs all night, you know, <laughs> if I can, if people want them, you know. It's not like it's that much in demand, but some events, you know, there's a lot of people hanging around and fans are super excited to see us. And you know, if you can hang around for 30 minutes and sign some autographs, it makes a lot of people's day. I feel like that's super important to do. Yeah, and you can tell by everything that I've read that it truly does, and it has. How I'm do... all about it, man. Awesome. Yeah, it's important. I totally value the patrons of our sport. They really do make this whole thing go. It's the amateur players are really what drives the sport, not the pros. 
you know, the amateurs outweigh us pros by 80%, you know, but they drive the sport. They're the ones who buy our stuff that support us that, you know, are out there in the gallery of the tournaments, you know, watching and subscribing to all the YouTube channels and all the different media productions and the Patreons and you name it. I mean, all the swag that the players come out with on their own, their own brands, their own clinics, their own whatevers, you know, those are all amateur players. Those are all recreational, avid disc golfers, weekend golfers, some of them. It's like those are the people that make this sport go. So you have to thank them. You have to recognize that it's the right thing to do. Most people in the disc golf community, they don't try to wear it out when the pros come around. You know, they, they understand, you know, they give us our space and they respect us. And it's it's awesome. I mean, it, I, I really can't think of a, of a cooler environment, really, in athletics, you know, where that fan player connection is like very real. They get to see us up close and personal so often. It's not like the NBA and the NFL where there's like, this is your line and this is their line. You know what I mean? You do not cross this space or you go to jail type of thing. You know, there's none of that in disc golf. Yeah. I try to keep it consistent, man. That's a big part of my game as a player. And I think that it's a big part of my tactic to life is to be consistent. The person that you do see on the golf course, you know, and off the golf course and I mean, that's me. That's me when I'm when I'm in my element and I'm being real and going through what I'm going through on the golf course, whether it be good or bad. I mean, I'm just being myself. I'm not doing it to be a distraction to anybody else or to try to look like a jerk. I'm just, you know, feeling my feels, you know what I mean? And when I'm off the golf course, then I can put that behind me most days and just get back to being calm and chill and just talking with people like people, you know what I mean? Like, we're all just people out there. Yeah. You know, and thankfully we're in a space and we're at a size in our sport where it's not so overwhelming where it's just like I I can only do this for 20 minutes a day or something because there's 50,000 people that would be standing there waiting if I would just stay, you know. Thankful it's not to that to that space because that I could totally see being difficult to juggle. Oh, when you can't like go yeah. to the store and buy something without being recognized. I've had some moments of recognition, but it's nothing like being a real celebrity or something you know i'm disc golf famous i just try to say that you know people are like oh but you're so popular i'm like yeah but i'm disc golf famous like let's not get carried away here you know people have probably seen me and don't even realize that they saw me on sports center or something like that they don't even they can't put the two together because it's not a close-up of my face you know it's me throwing a disc and then this goes in the basket that's about it you know? yeah so, i don't know i mean it's it, i don't know it's all good man i'm i'm happy it's not overwhelmed I would hate for it to be at a place where you just like burn out. I still really love enjoy love and enjoy the fan engagement. It's a lot of fun. That's so good Especially to hear. Especially because it's a two-way street, you know. They treat me well, I treat them well. They show me love, I show them love. It's not so hard. <laughs> Seems simple in my life, my world, simple enough. For sure. So I just have a couple more questions left, but kind of going off of that, how do you think disc golf can spread to more people looking for something to do outside? Why should someone that might be listening try disc golf for the first time? It's going to be the most fun you've ever had in a long time. I can pretty much assure you that. Even if it's you play a course and it's par 54 and you shoot 100, you're going to have a great time because there's something addictive about throwing the disc. You know, once you fling that thing the first time and it goes completely the wrong direction, you're, your brain's going to be like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, let's keep going. You know, and for most people, it's usually a great time. It's a great walk through a beautiful park, usually, and you're going to see some birds and maybe hear some water rolling along somewhere. And 
you know, you just never know what you're going to see in nature. I mean, we see cool things all the time, big hawks and big birds of prey swooping down, grabbing lunch, you know, and snakes sometimes. I mean, we see all kinds <laughs> of nature in some of these tournaments. So, I mean, if you're a nature lover, if you love being outside and breathing some fresh air and just want to have a leisurely walk through a disc golf park and get a little exercise and have a little fun, disc golf is totally the thing to do. It's, it's so much fun. I mean, it's anybody can play this game and have a great time. You don't have to play at a professional level to enjoy disc golf. You know, the beauty of the flight of the disc is really what draws us to the game. You know, that's what we all love to see and feel is that connection to a beautiful throw. And everything that you dreamed of, like a little daydream, comes to reality and watch that thing sail into the basket. It's, it's pretty, pretty epic. Even as an amateur, I can second that immediately. I can't think of any other sport. I mean, golf is so similar, but like I said, the kinetic energy. The reason I like golf more is because it's harder. <laughs> you know, it's like I've had a few hole-in-ones in ball golf, and like the two pure ones I hit, it was, I think, even more exciting than throwing the disc into the basket. It's just a harder game all around. But if you don't play traditional golf and you, you know, go out and play disc golf, you'll know exactly what I mean when you get your first hole-in-one or you throw one in from over 100 feet you know and you're just like yeah that was cool like i want some more of that it's like a carnival game that never stops you know yeah <laughs> you know it's kind of what i imagine it as you know just, it's just you, you can get off the merry-go-round anytime you want but it's always there for you you know and you can always get back on absolutely you know that's the best part of this game is it's like we were talking about earlier it's so accessible most places have disc golf within you know 10 15 20 miles and you're gonna have a good time awesome What's the most important thing for a disc golfer that just bought their first discs to know? Name and phone number. If you're a new player, name and phone number. Most people in disc golf will give you your stuff back. They will find you. They will track you down to get it back to their owner. That's one awesome thing about this community is people, they understand the value of a good Frisbee. Oh, yeah. You know? It's not like a golf ball and then gets lost in the wood. You don't see people writing their phone numbers on a golf ball. You know, you can get another one of those. But sometimes discs are just irreplaceable. I try not to throw stuff like that because <laughs> then I have to find another one and that could be very expensive in today's climate. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? Wow. You know, it's so funny in an age of self-promotion, I'm really not great at it, but uh, <laughs> all I can think about is all my handles and stuff, you know, the, my website's almost finished with reconstruction. It's teamphilo.com. My Instagram is at teamphilo. There's also teamphilo on Facebook. Those are the main ways to, to check me out or to dig me up. I'm part owner of a hat company called Boom, Boom Clothing. That's Boom with three O's. It's pretty awesome stuff. Uh, we started, oh man, it feels like seven seven years ago, I think. You know, we're relaunching our website hopefully April 1st. So if you're interested in some disc golf gear, if you're a hat connoisseur, got some really awesome lids dropping hopefully April 1st on the Boom Clothing website. Should have a link on Instagram. Always want to shout out my home course, Oak Grove Disc Golf Course, Pasadena, California, the world's first, where it all began for the disc golf game and for me. <laughs> Big shout out to my sponsor, Innova Champion, for 15 years of support. And sometimes a little bit of a rocky road with sponsorship, but you know, they've uh, they've been there and doing doing what they can for me to help me stay on my journey and to help support me. And I'm appreciative of that. So I definitely want to thank them and mention them. You know, I mean, it's just uh. It's been such a fun journey, man. It's been so fun to be a part of this whole, I call it pioneering of this sport. I've been saying that for about 10 years now. We are pioneering the sport of disc golf. Like this generation is taking things to a new level. Guys are getting paid more than they've ever been paid. The sports traveled around the world in ways it hadn't done before. 
new countries are popping on the radar all the time. We've got disc golf India growing, disc golf Ethiopia growing, disc golf in Belize growing, disc golf like all across Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, all across Europe. I mean, it's just so cool to be a part of it all, man. Like, every time I think about it, I smile just to be a part of it. Not that I'm the man or I'm the world champ or any <laughs> of that. It's just I'm a part of it, you know, and people talk disc golf, Philo's name pops up. And to me, that's freaking cool, man. I'm stoked with that. I'm all about it. I, that's that's enough for me. I mean, even listening to you talk about how it makes you smile makes me smile. I've spent so much of this podcast smiling already. Thanks, man. I mean, I, I'm a lucky guy. You know, I may not be monetarily wealthy, but I'm so wealthy in so many other ways that are, to me, more valuable than the money because I can't take it with me anywhere. <laughs> would it be would it be nice to have more things maybe but maybe that would just mean more problems you know what i mean like life is really simple for me i don't have a lot of stress in my life you know if i don't have much overhead i'm in the process excuse me i'm at the point of my life where i'm really focused on you know building a home that's kind of my goal is i want to build like a cool container home find some property build myself a workshop course and maybe transition into to training and coaching full-time you know i mean it's hard to keep up with these 20 young bucks you know when you're 41 <laughs> years old you know not getting any easier and this weekend's kind of showing me yeah these guys they don't leave much room for me making mistakes you know i gotta be on top of it if, if i'm gonna hang with them so you know i'm not sure when that day is gonna come i still feel pretty competitive and i still got the fire to play so i'm gonna roll with that for the time being but the commentary has been picking up they've been uh asking me to do more live commentary i did my first live last october uh for our big championship down in Rock Hill, South Carolina called the USDGC. And that was a big boost for, for me that, that opened up a whole new door of possibilities for my post disc golf career, post playing career. You can hear Philo's commentary on that championship by looking up 2020 USDGC on YouTube. To quote the top comment, Philo is so good on commentary here. It's almost like getting a free lesson while you watch. So I guess, you know, just a lot of my life right now is just kind of planning for the future you know like i've kind of lived my disc golf experience to the max for the better part of 15 years and i'm starting to think of what's next disc golf's always going to be a part of my life i feel like i'm always going to be a part of this community but my role is going to be changing probably pretty soon in the next three or five years or less you know it's my desires are starting to shift you know i've been a single guy no kids i'm 41 years old you know i'm thinking maybe I might want a mini Philo one day and teach him how to play disc golf. And, you know, who knows, you know, like, I don't know. There's a lot of other things to do in life besides just compete, starting to think about them now. So my game plan is to enjoy the, the adventure as long as it lasts and just happy to be a part of it, man. Happy to be an influencer in the sport, you know, happy to be a role model and, and a leader and, you know, somebody people look up to and admire and all that. It's, it's so surreal, man. It's something I really wanted when I was a kid and it's happened. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it's so cool to hear you talk about it too, because it sounds it sounds like a storybook, and it's a, a real the life. Story's experience. not done yet, man. Yeah. it's not over. You know, it's. There's I feel so like I'm left. at the halfway point. You know, there's still so much to do. I still have the masters division. I can go sweep up a bunch of titles in that division if I want. You know, I'm sure I'm going to be a contender. I mean, not too many of those guys can come run with the you know the touring pros, and you don't really see them out there trying because they know it's not easy. Yeah. You know, so I'm pretty sure, you know, there's there's still a lot to be done. 
you know, maybe my open careers might be winding down, but there's still a lot of disc golf left in me. I'll be playing until I'm on in the wheelchair or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be out there throwing flick rollers, roll me around. <laughs> I was going to say, with your form, you could probably still do it while sitting down. Probably. You never know. I mean, we'll see. But yeah, again, man, super uh, thankful that you wanted to talk to me, man. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, not only for joining me and talking to me for this long, but going through all the trouble of recording part of it twice and rescheduling at the last second and talking to me until late into the night. So yeah. So we originally tried to record while Philo was still at the course, but between his poor connection and a dinner he had scheduled for shortly after we started recording, we decided to reschedule. What I didn't expect, and what I'm so appreciative of, is that we ended up rescheduling for right after he finished dinner, and we talked for nearly two and a half hours, until nearly 11pm his time, when he still had to go play again in the morning. Just so cool of him. God, it's all it good, just... man. I love the sport of disc golf. I love telling the story anytime I get the opportunity, and hopefully it'll encourage some people to check us out. You know, Give it a try. You got nothing to lose but 20 bucks. You know, yeah. people, we spend $20 on everything these days, you know, <laughs> we can't get away from going anywhere without spending 20 bucks. Why not have a fun day at the park, you know, bring a couple friends, make a picnic, yeah, get I outside, mean, turn off the TV, <laughs> get some vitamin D, get some vitamin D, some disc golf in your life. Oh, there we go. I hadn't even thought of that. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I try. Sometimes I'm quick. <laughs> Sometimes I'm very slow. <laughs> Trust me, I'm there too. <laughs> yeah. Right on, man. Well, you did a rock star job. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Th again, thank you so much for everything. You're very welcome, sir. Thanks for having some interest, dude. A huge thanks again to Philo for joining me. I can now confirm yet again what the disc golf world says about him. He's a super chill dude and crazy easy to talk to. If you don't already, definitely check him out and follow his journey through the Disc Golf Tour. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, I'm sure that you'll love the stone-skipping episodes with Kurt Steiner. Philo's storytelling reminds me a lot of Kurt, and my new life's goal is to get the two on a disc golf course together. I just know Kurt would have a wicked forehand with some practice. Keep an eye or ear out as well for some bonus stories that didn't quite make this episode, and some highlights from other episodes that didn't quite make their main ones. I'd love to hear any ideas you have for niche sports and athletes you want to hear in a future episode, so send me a DM at Butler on the Air online. It would also help the podcast out a ton if you subscribed wherever you got your podcasts and left a review. Each review helps get the show in new ears, and I think Philo deserves to be heard. Until next time, I'm Tommy Butler, and you've been listening to The Ocho.